Good morning. Let's start with a very short prayer, please. Lord Jesus, you made us and you saved us and you want us to be content and it isn't always true. Today, by your word, sanctify us by your Holy Spirit who wrote this word through his people and help us grow in this idea of being content. Amen. I want to talk to you about this subject that we've been throwing at you all through the service that's very near and dear to God's heart, and that is that the people he has created as the crown of his creation, as the image of God, as even redeemed children of God, would be happy and content in all circumstances. I, want to, I said it was near and dear to his heart. Let me just remind you of a couple things. The children of Israel in the Old Testament complained about Egypt. They didn't like it, that they were stuck there as slaves. God heard their prayer and sent Moses, brought them out into the wilderness. It was a long and hard trip. And they complained and said, we want to go back to Egypt. And God was very upset that they were not content with manna that he put out there miraculously every morning. So he sent quail into the camp and they reveled in grabbing all the quail they could and cooking them over the the fire and then what happened the quail had worms in them and many people died that's how serious God is about contentment you heard when Bill was up here reading about Ahab and how discontent he got over a little vineyard and you heard in the summary of what God did when Ahab killed Naboth to get it God killed Ahab and Jezebel in a very humiliating way because God is serious about contentment. When God came to David through Nathan the prophet and Nathan and David had uh, sinned by taking Bathsheba from Uriah and having Uriah killed, this is what God said. I gave you many wives and I would have given you more had you asked. That blows your mind. And he said, but you had to go take this one man's wife. Because David was discontent with the blessing God gave him. God was upset. It was very near and dear to his heart. God wants you to be content, and it drives him crazy when you are not. You say, well, I don't really have that big of a trouble with contentment. Well, let's just ask a couple questions. You've, you've, you've gotten a flyer or you've got on your phone a, some kind of advertisement that you're one of your favorite stores has a sale on something, so you run down there. And just as you're going down the aisle, you see the last one there and someone rounds the other end of the aisle, reaches in and picks it up. Oh. So you go find the clerk and you ask them about it and they said, nope, once they're out, they're all gone. Now you're really discontent. You go to the next door, you're driving in the parking lot, you see that parking spot, even though you exercise for an hour each day to try to be fit, you see that parking spot closest to the door, but it's all the way around a long line of cars, so you whip around and go too fast, and somebody whips in right in front of you, and now you are discontent. You're standing in the grocery store line, and you, you've got 10 items, and you're going through Express when it says 15 or less, and there's three people in front of you that all have a lot of items, so you count every one of them because you are discontented, right? You, if you're someone who loves everything well-ordered 
and uh, you, ha you have to have things arranged for you, and you are always making your world neat and tidy so that you feel well-ordered, and you married a free spirit, which at first was very neat and attractive to you, but free spirits like everything disheveled because that makes life more spontaneous and exciting. Now in marriage you are discontented. Your, your friends at school, in college, you're a freshman, and they say, let's go to spring break down to the beach somewhere in Texas or Florida, and you get really excited. It seems like heaven on earth for a week is about to happen, and you call home and talk to your parents, and they go, no way, no how. I know what happens on those beaches. You're not going there. And now you are discontent with your parents. Your brother gets a bigger candy bar. Wasn't that a great illustration? First time we made somebody cry in the children's message, but man, it was striking close to the heart of all of us, right? You're just fine until somebody that you, for sure, your brother doesn't deserve it, gets more than you, right? And you're discontented. You've had a trouble with discontentment since you stood up in the crib the first time and shook it for instant gratification from your parents. You're just better at hiding it as an adult. Solomon, who was one of the most wealthy, right, man of his time, he was the wealthiest man in the world. Um, he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he said, I have discovered that most progress in people's lives in their work is because of the envy they have of their neighbor. They want to work hard to make more, to buy a better car, a better house, more stuff. We all need this help, and God, it's near and dear to his heart. He wants us to get help because we cannot really enjoy life the way he invented it to be enjoyed and enjoy him, and he cannot enjoy us any more than a parent enjoys a little kid that's crying selfishly. He can't enjoy us if we're not content. And so he teaches us in his word, and he's going to teach us today through Paul, the apostle, Next to Jesus, most famous guy in the New Testament, right? Peter, Paul the Apostle, in a letter that he wrote to the Philippians, a church up in Philippi, which was a city in a region called Macedonia. And in that city, he had come there and started a church by telling them about Jesus down by the river. And he had a very special relationship with all his churches, but this one, that was, it was more reciprocal. Paul went on, on more journeys to take care of and start other churches and take care of them. And God put him through a very difficult circumstance. He got arrested down in Jerusalem. And then if you know anything at all about the story, I'll tell you real briefly. He got arrested and there was a death threat. They were trying to kill him without a trial. And he appealed to Caesar in Rome. Rome's a long ways from Jerusalem. And then it's all in the book of Acts in the Bible. And then he went on a harrowing journey as a prisoner and he suffered shipwreck. He got bit by a, a snake that was poisonous. And he ends up in, under house arrest. And he's, he's there chained to a Roman guard so he won't run under house arrest. That, that was the ankle bracelet of their day. Just chain him, chain him to a human being, a guard. But he had to rent and pay for his own rental room in a house somewhere. And Paul is there in Rome waiting trial. And it was painfully slow. And he could have been put to death at the end of the trial. He did not know what was going to happen and he wrote letters, and we have four of them, and one of them is Philippians, so that's where he is. This guy, Paul, has dedicated his life to serving God better and more than any of us in this room, including us pastors. He has given it all up for Jesus, and it's been very difficult the whole time. 
stonings and death threats and snake bites and shipwrecks and all that kind of stuff. And now he's in jail. Sixteen times in the letter he talks about joy from a contented heart. And you know why he wrote them a letter at all? It's in this little paragraph that we have, 10, verses 10 through 13. The, the Philippians in Macedonia, quite a ways from Rome, they had found out Paul was there. It was on Facebook. And you got it. So they sent money with a, in the hand of one of their members. They sent money. He got on a ship. He went to Rome. And he, and, he, and he gave Paul their love and their encouragement and gave him a bag of money. And he said, now pay your rent here. We are with you as you're in prison waiting trial because we love you. You are a great teacher and leader and pastor. And they gave him money. And he sent a letter back, this letter, Philippians, to say thank you and to give them some spiritual insight. And that's how it got into the Bible. It's a thank you note. Pretty long one. But the section about his thanks is speaking about contentment, which is very interesting. So let's read it, okay? Um, it's there on the screen for you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me by sending that gift. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it all this time. I am not saying this, that you at last showed your concern for me by giving a gift. I am not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Did you notice that what he's trying to say to them is, I'm really excited about your gift, but it's not because I was sitting around moping and then the gift came and I went, yippee, relief from the Philippians. He's trying to teach them that he had a contentment that didn't make him dependent upon the gifts of others. He didn't depend on a small or a large candy bar from the Philippians or God or anyone else that he had learned a secret from content, uh, about contentment. And he's sharing it with us. And when Paul says, I've been in plenty and in want, I don't want you to imagine, well, there was, for a while he got to live way out in Westlake, but now he lives in a little hovel on the east side of Austin. Everything every human being in this room has is a hundred times more than Paul had when he had plenty. When he says plenty, you need to picture one of these homeless that doesn't have just one grocery cart full, but he's got one he's pushing and one he's pulling. That's about, when Paul had plenty, that's about what he had. When he set his heart to go serve Jesus as a missionary, he had a shirt on his back and a, an ability to make tents and nets, and he had people that would love him and take care of him and a roof over his head. So plenty, did, when he says, I know how to be in plenty and in want, his plenty is your want. And he says, I've learned a secret is to live free from that. And here's a big point. Because it doesn't, being content does not come from your circumstances. Not in your church, not in your country, not in your job, not in your marriage, not in your family, not in your school, not in, not in your looks, not in your wealth. It doesn't come from your circumstances. The secret from, of contentment comes from within. Wait a minute. When we look inside, though, that's where the problem is. I'm empty and I'm not content. Yeah, I didn't say it starts within, but the secret from contentment comes not from your circumstances, but inside. But God has to put it there. You can't 
Because without God, you are a fake God and you are a finite person that's going to die in this world. You're just as temporal as the stuff you possess and, and your body is. Your soul is eternal, but your body is just as temporal. And so you can't make, you can't make contentment come up in your life. It has to come from outside, but it can't come from your circumstances. It has to come from heaven. And so we say in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. Take care of me. See, contentment starts for a Christian. When God reveals to you, I mean, I don't mean he just says it on a poster but when he reveals it in your heart and he gets your attention and he opens your heart's eyes to the fact that you are not your own idea. You didn't invent yourself. Long before you had dreams and aspirations, ambitions and plans for your life and identity crisis and worried about what you're going to be or become or where you fit in with everybody else. Long before all that, you were his idea. He's not your idea. And you're not your idea. And he loves the idea that he had when he decided to make you. And you've damned yourself by thinking it was all about you. You've cut yourself off. Worthy of eating quail with worms. Or being struck dead and licked up. Uh, the blood of your wounds licked up like Ahab's and Jezebel's were by the dogs. As they died, died in the streets. You damned yourself. And he reveals that to you. And you go, you're right, God. I've been the sniveling, complaining, even off and on up to the present. And then he reveals to you at the same time, I still love you, you little booger. I love you to death. You're my idea. And he put his son on the cross for you and he took all the blame for your being discontent. The most contented man in the world, perfect and holy before God, never discontent at all. Didn't have to learn the secret. He was the secret to contentment. Gave it all up for you. And you learn that in your heart. And you feel so thankful. You feel so loved and forgiven. And it's all about God and you and has nothing to do with where you live, what you drive, the clothes you wear, the husband or wife, your family you have, or your jobs, country, anything. It has to do with you and God. And you feel settled and loved and content. And you realize that you're on a journey with God. He's not on a journey with you. You're on a journey with God. And so on the journey, he takes things away. He gives things there. He takes things away. He blesses some of your plans and dreams. He blesses some of your work. Some of it's very frustrating and it doesn't work. He, he, he's with you the whole way. And you realize I'm on a journey with God who loved me and saved me. And you say with Paul in the last verse of our paragraph, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many have heard that passage before today? Right. I bet, I would bet that the, when you heard it and when you said it, you said it about overcoming some habit or temptation. The first time I remember it becoming popular in my mind and heart was way back when I was like a teenager and somebody at my church was trying to quit smoking. And he said, this is my go-to verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's, the, the, the verse can be used that way, but the context is about contentment. 
I can be poor, I can be rich. I can be little candy bar, big candy bar. I can be never get a raise, I can get a raise. I can do, be, be important and popular, I can be hated and despised because Christ gives me strength. The message, the revelation of Christ gives me strength. I'm his and he is mine. Isn't that great? Remember that. That's the first step. Remember that what you have in Christ is everything. But also want what you have. Don't just remember what you have. See, contentment is not getting what you want. It's wanting what you have. And all the blessings that make that either tempt us to be contented in them or discontent before God because we don't have them the way we want them, they, all of those are from the hand of him who died for you, made you and died for you, loves you, and has a plan for your life. So if he decides to give you something, that's what you have. If he decides not to give you something, that's also what you have. He's teaching you a lesson, and it's always going to be good. Did you know that's what Romans 8.28 is about also? It's about contentment. Learning that God is dealing with you as a son. Romans 8.28 is another famous passage. We know that in all things, good or bad, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But what's the next verse? That's the verse everybody forgets. His, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, who was this owning nothing, selfless, full of love, self-sacrificing human being that served God and others 100%. He is conforming you to the image of his son, and the whole chapter is about suffering in Romans 8. So the, the good that he's working is giving you something even when it looks like he's taking something away because he's giving you the nature of Christ. He's giving you an opportunity to learn true spiritual uh, reality in serving God and others when there's no payment. Contentment comes from wanting that, wanting what you have from God, not getting what you want before Him. So remember and want. And you know it's so hard because you have three diseases that affect you, and I do too. The devil, the world, and our flesh. The devil puts thoughts in your heads all the time and, and tempts you with him. The world, it says in the Bible that they're under the sway of the devil. Even down to, it can be even Christians out working, doing their job, making advertisements. I heard one today on the way to church, and since I was all about contentment today, I just smiled and said, i got to share this one. I'm driving in. This is what it said. The holidays are in the rearview mirror. You spent the whole holidays making sure everybody else had what they deserved. Now it's your turn to get what you deserve. Come out to our dealership and buy our cars. And you get hit with that stuff all the time. And your own flesh. You don't even need a devil or the world it, it, for it to dawn on you sometimes. Hey, man, I'm getting slighted here. I think, you know, I, I've, I've put in my time. I need, I need a little more... Uh, going on for me what about me you can make that stuff up yourself it's three diseases it's so hard to remember and want what you have that's why the word of God is so powerful Paul tells us and teaches us and it leads us back to Christ but I would like to take now what I'm telling you and supercharge it I mean, there used to be, well, who's the guy that used to be on the cooking channels and he put in a special season and you go, bam! 
Who's that guy? Well, who? Yeah, that guy. I can't say his name. All right. Emerald. 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 Right. Okay. Bam. Now, this is this is this is the bam of contentment. This is what takes it up a notch where you'll be more content than most people you know. If you understand this secret to contentment, remembering and wanting, we have already got the next one is using what you have to bless others. There's a really neat verse in the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts about Jesus. This is the, the neat thing, this is only what this is only something that pastors care about. This I mean this little neat thing. If you want to find the words of Christ, what what books of the Bible would you look in? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, right? And if you have a red letter edition, which I love, it'll just open the page and red, red is the words of Jesus, right? Well, if you look in Acts, which was not written by Paul, but Paul is in, he's walking around living his life, and Luke is writing about it. He meets with these elders at Miletus, a little island, because he's going to never see him again. He wants to encourage him. And this is what he says. The Lord Jesus told us, and then if you've got a red letter edition Bible, it's in red letters. So Paul's quoting Jesus, not even a letter that Paul wrote. So Luke's writing about Paul, talking about Jesus, but the passage does never appears in the four Gospels. So it's one of those rare gems that's words of Jesus that never made it into the four Gospels. And this is what it says. It's about contentment. Paul says, remember what the Lord Jesus told us. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And the word blessed sounds so churchy to us in English. So it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's more holy to give than to receive. Yeah, 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 give me the big candy bar. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's more fun, it's more cool, it's more of a happy life, it's more contentment, it's more peace. That's the word blessed, in, 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 really in the English language, but as well as the original. It means it's the happy life, it's the contented life. Once you get the secret that in every circumstance, no one can stop you from serving others and the joy of having an impact. If it's a smile, a word, didn't cost you a dime, right? So if you, you can't say, well, I wish I had more money so I could start being generous. I almost said a bad word. That is BS. <laughs> That's a lie that you're believing. You are free. You are free to serve and love because you have Christ. And everything that he gives you to give you the strength in all circumstances to be content. But if you want to kick it up a notch and go, bam, you take wherever you are in the, the worst day of your life and do something wonderful and beautiful for somebody else while your car is broke, while the dishwasher doesn't work, and somebody just told you something really bad that they're having to deal with. You see what I'm saying? That's the secret to contentment. The guy's in jail, and he's writing a letter about joy. It wasn't just Jesus that could do that stuff. It's sinners that can because Jesus is in their life and their heart with his grace and his power and his love. You see what I'm saying? It's the secret to being content. Before you walk out that door without any circumstance changing in your finances, your health, or anything else, the attitude in your heart can change if you say, in your heart, to God, amen, you're right, thank you for the chiropractic adjustment, I needed that, and now I feel a lot better because now I've, got, I've been reminded of what I have with you. You don't need to be discontent. You say, 
and, and also, you put to death your expectations and your ambitions. You put them to death because most of the time, they're, they're not going to be the way it ends up exactly anyway. And, you th- and I used to, when I was a younger man and I was giving positive mental attitude speeches like 18, 19 years old through the future farmers, I, mean, I was always talking about all that, that the set your goals and set them high and do all that stuff. And, and they're not realistic. Yes, you set goals, but separate from your contentment. You, James said, you say if the Lord wills on that day, I will go do this or that. You don't say, I'm going to set my goals and it's all up to me and I can do anything I want. Right? You just put your mind to it. Always, you're going to watch the Super Bowl. Maybe you're not. <laughs> There's always after a game like that, and they're interviewing a coach or a player, you know what's coming. They're going to say, you guys had an up and a down season. You've had an up and a down career, whatever. How are you feeling right now? Boom, microphone. We've come through a lot of adversity, but we triumphed. You can do anything you set your mind to if you just work hard enough. I'm thinking the other team went through the same adversity and lost. So, Put to death your ambitions that are based on you. Put to death your goals. Put to death your expectations of other people and learn the life of love. Then you can work hard, set goals, and do things, but separate your contentment from it. You can be content if you get into that program at that nursing school or not. And you can, you can fill it out. The rest of you that are looking for work. Why am I at this moment being so passionate about this? Because God is passionate about it. Remember what I said? He cannot enjoy you and you enjoy Him if you do not get that grace is all around your life through the Lord Jesus Christ and that all circumstances have no power over your heart as long as you know Jesus. Now I'm going to swoop out of the Bible to a, a secular poem that was written. And uh, some of you know it, I'm sure, because it's been around 120 plus years. And uh, if you are an uh, English teacher, I'm sure you've shared this with your, your students. It's written by Rudyard Kipling, and it's entitled, If. Have you heard of that poem? Okay, I'm going to read it to you. In the second paragraph, I'll highlight, and then... Uh, I'll be done. I'll say it one more thing and I'll be done. Promise. Be content. (laughs) All right. If you can keep, this is about contentment that's separated from circumstances. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired of waiting or being lied about, but you don't deal in lies, or being hated, you don't give way to hating, and you don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet, here's the the line, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. That line is on the wall entering the center court for the players of the Wimbledon. Isn't that cool? If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth that you have spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, being misquoted, 
or watch the things that you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make a heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your own virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything in it. And what's more, you will be a man, my son. That is a beautiful poem talking about contentment, but I'm going to put an asterisk. It sets the bar high and it gives us the goal but only Jesus Christ can give you the power. You'll never, and I will never, be a perfect image of a poem like that because it's law. And the law is good. And it's good virtue and character about being content. But the only thing that really gives us the power to be content is to be loved and forgiven and in the presence of our Savior. And then with joy and peace and not thinking we're trying to measure up to, just to be able to hurdle the bar, we can practice contentment. And we won't get discontent when we fail because immediately we, get, we feel Jesus' loving hand around us, forgiving us, picking us up and say, it's worth doing it again because <laughs> you're already washed clean. God wants us to be content. Contentment is not a destination. It's an attitude created by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God in heaven, help us to live a contented life because we are so prone to this. We're sinners. We're saved. We're forgiven. We're loved. But man, is this a hard one. Help us to live in that contentment. Come by your Holy Spirit. Remind us. Help us to smile this week when something goes on that makes us discontent and remember the word that you taught us. We commit that prayer to you for Jesus' sake and for your glory. Amen.